Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learnt, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. Welcome back to the Operation Cape podcast. I'm very excited to be speaking with Trent Ray from the Cyber Safety Project today. Trent Ray and I connected on Instagram. I think we liked some of each other's stuff. And um, Trent is the co-founder of the Cyber Safety Project with Sam McCauley, who I believe are both teachers, but I'll get him to, or ex-teachers, I don't know, are you ever an ex-teacher? I'll get him to explain how he started Cyber Safety Project and why he moved from teaching into teaching about cyber safety. So thank you so much, Trent, for being with me today. Thanks so much, Christy. It's great to be here. We always have awesome conversations and it's <laughs> yeah. good that we can finally record one of them, right? I know. We we should bottle, we should record every conversation because they're like gold every time. Yeah. So basically today we just want to chat about how you guys got started, what you're doing over in the East Coast and, and really like I'd love some of your gold star information around what parents should be keeping an eye on. So how did you get started? Yeah, so the Cyber Safety Project was really born out of the fact that, yes, we were educators. Uh, do you ever become an ex-teacher? I think you do, but I'd say we're still teaching right now because that's exactly what the Cyber Safety Project does. We work with students, we work with educators, school staff, parents, even the wider community around I guess, building awareness around some of the harms and dangers of the online world, but really thinking proactively about how we can help young people build the skills to be able to self-manage their digital citizenship, so their safety, their security, and even their digital well-being. Because as we know, the online world is always going to be a big part of how young people live, learn, connect, play, and eventually work. So we need to arm them with the skills to be able to do that really safely and responsibly and respectfully. So... The Cyber Safety Project started because we were having some issues as a school ourselves and we had a particular incident with a young boy in our school. His name was Jake and he was 11 years old and he was actually in Sam's class and at the time I was heading up our technology program at our school and Jake really enjoyed playing Minecraft just like so many other kids do still today and this was over 10 years ago now that this incident occurred. Uh, but he was playing Minecraft on a public server with lots of his friends from school that arranged to meet in the server after school and on the weekends and play together. But because the server was completely public, he was able to connect with and play with other people that were in that same server or online Minecraft world where they'd play. But it gets a bit tricky to chat in Minecraft. And so Jake actually had sort of struck up quite a friendship with someone that had met him a few times in the server. And this person suggested to Jake that he downloaded Skype. 
Oh, yeah. uh, so at the time, Skype was that kind of, you know, really awesome way to connect with people. And it's multimodal, which means you can send photos. You could even conference call with people. And it was here that Jake really ended up connecting with a perpetrator online uh, that was pretending to be a 13-year-old girl. And I think we've all certainly understand, and, and you especially, Christy, would know the standard grooming tactics that an online perpetrator will use, but just building some trust with Jake over quite a period of time to the point where Jake was then uh, turning on his webs, uh, webcam and actually uh, streaming himself live, doing sexual acts with this person at the other end who he thought was a 13-year-old girl. Uh, now, what was happening to Jake at that time, which we now know is called capping, and which is the coercion of a young person and without their consent, then recording that material and potentially even using that material as, um, you know, collateral that they can then in, in engage with other perpetrators online to share that material yeah um and so but we discovered it on the device at school because he, he had downloaded skype on the school laptop and unbeknown to jake's family he'd been doing this in the bedroom with the door closed without his parents knowing this for about four weeks so you know you can imagine at that moment when we discovered it at school the challenge that we were faced with at that moment and i guess as a school we really reflected on okay We've got technology in our school, which is awesome because we know how important it is to help young people engage with technology to build their skills to be successful. But at the same time, we realized that there was probably a few more things that we needed to do from a school front for the whole community. So all of the stakeholders, students, teachers, yeah. school staff and parents to make sure that everyone is almost proactively armed with the skills to be able to navigate this stuff. Yeah. So that's where it was born from. And and now we support schools all across Australia and particularly now over in WA as well and, and even New Zealand. Oh my God. Well, I I just love people who see a problem and fix it. <laughs> or see a problem and and find a solution. Like where that people are like you are change makers in the world, you know, you don't sit by and just go, Well, I can't do anything. Let's go and find you know, you go find a problem. You see a problem, you fix it. I I really appreciate you telling that story because this is a very common story, right? That's right. I mean, last year alone, I know the Australian Centre of Counter Child Exploitation received over 36,000 reports of online child abuse material. Yeah. So this stuff is increasing every year. And it really truly is because we've got connected devices in the hands of younger and younger children. Yeah, yeah. And it's a big challenge for schools. I know that schools kind of don't know how to deal with what they're coming up, up against, you know. You mentioned about the fact that because it was on a school computer, you kind of were, you know, and you you identified that this issue was going on. But, you know, so many things are happening without anyone finding it. And, we've, and all we can do is keep educating, educating, putting up. It was explained to me the other day I was doing a cyber safety talk at a school and, you know, when you're in the school, there's like a net over the school because they've got really good... They've got really good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Because it's very early over in WA and my brain's yeah. not working. The security, hard, you know, they've got prevention software, yeah. hardware yeah. systems That's to right. really lock down the environment to protect yeah. it. But once that device leaves the school, if it is a continuous learning device where it goes home with the student or it's a BYOD program, yeah. then yes, once what happens outside of that bubble of the school oh. is then really up to the families at home to be able to manage that, which can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I said, like, there's this force field over the school. Once it leaves the school, that's it. You know, there's a lot of things that can go happen at home if your parent, if as a parent, you don't set up the same level of 
uh, security or and this is it's a challenge for parents right because you they your child might have their own device and it's really safe at home but then they go to someone else's house and again there's this level of you know because that's what happens with devices they go everywhere yeah they really are around kids all the time right so they might even have their personal device that's really secure but they might be exposed to things outside of that so really what what our program aims to do is to arm kids with the knowledge skills and strategies on what to do if something goes wrong how to get help and support and to help parents particularly build confidence with their children or the confidence from their children for the parent to feel safe that they can even talk to them about things that are going wrong for them online because we know that so many young people are a little fearful to talk openly with their parents about something that might go wrong for them online out of fear of getting into trouble or the device being taken away from them or not allowed to go to their friends again if it happened and those sorts of um, challenges that a young person sees by disclosing or sharing if something's going wrong for them. Yeah, that's right. I hear the same things. I've been hearing the same things since before, whilst I was a police officer before, like we're talking 13 years in the job, you know, it's been going on forever that young people are scared to talk to their parents about this stuff because I guess uh, historically we haven't handled trouble, like, you know, things well. We haven't, we freak out, we lose, you know, we're like, all right, you know, you've done this. Now you got, you're going to lose your device. And right. we're going to protection mode, right? And we just want yeah. to wrap everything around that young person. But by doing that, it can put a barrier in place as well. So yeah. really, a lot of the conversations that we're having is really helping parents and uh, understand from the child's perspective what they're going to need from them as, a, as an adult in the digital world and as a digital parent, as a digital family. And one of the big things really is about open conversations and communication is really clearly important but what young people are telling us is that they don't want necessarily their mums and dads or their parents and guardians to know everything about the internet and everything about the games that they play or the social media they don't expect them to know everything but what they do expect from their grown adults is that their parents are good problem solvers and that they know strategies to get help and support so we always really encourage parents to make sure their children know A, there's nothing that they would ever say or do that they wouldn't forgive. And that as a parent, my job is to help you fix any mistakes that happen. So the second thing is to make sure that your children know that you've promoted to them that you know how to get help and support if something goes wrong online. And we can start by having really important conversations so that they can see you as a parent, as an expert about online safety and how to get help and how to fix things if something goes wrong. Yeah. And that's so, that's so well put because I talk about, I talk about that a little bit similar in my book and then helping your child come up with, uh, you know, harm reduction strategies or strategies to get past something. It's no different to helping your child uh, tackle, you know, a fight with a friend at school or, you know, or something that's going on with another interpersonal relationship, we've got to remember that just because it's online, it doesn't mean that these friendships and relationships don't matter to them and and that we we need to, there's also almost also a relationship with the device. So we need to like handle that with not kid gloves, but with, with respect, yeah? So, yeah, so I, I use the terminology like uh, teachable moments and one step removed. So, you know, by saying things like, oh, what could kids do if for little kids or what could you do if, you know, you're giving them an opportunity before the actual incident happens to try and come up with a strategy to get out of it. And that's how I taught my daughter. 
And so when something happens, they don't loot like they don't just go blank and go, oh, I freeze. They've actually got strategies. Is it so tell me a bit more about what you teach kids in your on in your sessions and um, you know, what strategies you recommend. I mean, for anyone (laughs) listening, we actually tried to record this podcast a week ago and my internet just cut out (laughs) and it was just like so we've done this again. And during that that podcast, I reckon we haven't touched base on some things. There was you mentioned about public, private, and personal spaces. And I really want to to reiterate that to parents how important those three or those teaching about those three different spaces. So just go through that again, Trent. Yeah. So what we really encourage is to try to reduce the overwhelm because it can feel really overwhelming as a parent, right? Thinking about all the apps, games and platforms and websites, and it's just not possible to know all, all of them. But what is possible to know is that actually any space that you go online falls into one of only three types of spaces. So we refer to different spaces as personal, private or public spaces online. So when we think about personal spaces, these are the spaces that are just for us and our eyes only. And when we talk about personal spaces, there are the examples of those are things like even um, using an iPad and taking photos and those photos living in the iCloud. That's a personal space because you've got an iTunes account and those images are stored in a personal space. No one else can see them until you decide to do something differently with those photos, like maybe sharing them or posting them online. And we protect those spaces quite often with really long and strong passwords. And the reason we do that want to keep those spaces very secure. Even now, more so than ever before, we're also putting a second step of verification into those systems. So we're talking about that, like multi-factor or two-factor authentication, which is a really important cyber safety 101 in the tw- in 2023 and beyond. If we've got multi-factor set up on all of our personal spaces, that's going to protect them. But online banking, email inboxes, you know, we can start having conversations with young people about in these spaces, there can sometimes be quite personal information and details that we would never want to share with anybody. And we don't, and we want to protect them with all our might. But then I guess where we know a lot of young people are spending their time online are in private spaces. And private spaces online are um, often online games. Uh, they can be private social networking spaces, group chats. I mean, this session that we're on right now recording this podcast is a Zoom call between you and I, but yeah. I know yeah. that this is going to become public because you're going to share this soon um, yeah. as a recording. So yeah. what right now it's private. Some things inside of private spaces do end up public, which is yeah. really important to know. So, you know, one of the things that we talk about when you're chatting to even just one friend via messenger, when it's online and you've typed something, the person at the other end is going to receive that privately. But what they choose to do with that image or that 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 text message or that that post that you've shared in that space could end up public. Yeah. So we often move then from private spaces to talking about public spaces, which is where you would probably end up encountering tricky people, strangers, unkind people. And knowing that those people are spending time in those spaces alongside us, we're going to be thinking very differently and carefully about who we choose to connect with and maybe even some of the personal or secure information that we have. We want to be very mindful not to share that in public spaces. Mm. Yeah. And when you break it down so simply, and I'm sure this would, I, I, I'm sure you would see kids' eyes like the light bulb go off in some of them. 
Yeah. Because- and they start to think about the apps that they're using. And we start talking about, well, think about the things you love to do online and, and put them in the three circles. And, you yeah. know, then think about, let's put all of the different pictures of the different apps into different groups and say, well, look at how many spaces you go online where it is either private or it could be public. And then start having conversations from that point about strategies for staying safe. And even as a parent, if you can sit down and show them that you're a bit of an expert around doing something like that, it can give the kids confidence to think, wow, my parents know a bit about this online stuff. And then there's your in to have the next step conversation about why it might not be safe online and how to get help and support if something goes wrong. Because Mm. we know so many young people just hear their adults saying, be safe, don't do this, don't do that. But they often just miss that why opportunity, why it's not safe online. And we've got to think about age appropriate ways to have those conversations. Yeah, that's so true. And the why is what connects them, connects the knowledge with the the actual lesson, you know, if there's no why in there, then why why would I bother doing what my parents say? Yeah, that's right. And we, you know, we've had conversations before too, Christy, about, you know, safe, like unsafe, you know, experiences and scenarios and, and then maybe categorizing things as to being safe or unsafe or, you know, having those kind of conversations, you know, it opens up a window for that conversation. We use the PPP strategy or private Uh, personal private and public spaces online is a good starting point for a conversation as a family and then it's amazing what conversations come out of that yeah I think parents are scared to sometimes talk about like strangers and and tricky people because they don't know how to um, have those conversations without scaring their child because kids are online pretty young and so you know what are some words uh, you've used tricky people unkind people um, strangers strangers yeah, they're all really good terminology. Um, how would you describe a tricky person to a young person? Yeah, so when we're talking to even kids in foundation grade one and two, for example, when we're doing our student sessions, we talk about tricky people as people online that might try to trick you into giving away some of your personal information. So okay. it might be a thing that pops up on the screen that says you've won a prize. And if you click on that prize, then you might actually be asked to give away some of your details because they're going to maybe want to send you that free iPad, right? So that means that they might then start asking you for your address or your phone number or where you live or further details about yourself. And yep. we know that's really not safe to give those personal, that personal and secure information to tricky people. So we start with things like scams and online situations that might be difficult. Yep. When we talk about strangers, we talk we, we actually show an example of playing oh. Minecraft and then suddenly there's a person in Minecraft that actually is a stranger and then they start chatting to us. And we sort of say, well, they look like a, a cool person and they look like a lovely person, but we can't see who they are. It's like they've got a full mask on and you just cannot tell who they are. It's even harder to spot a stranger online than it is to spot a stranger out at the playground or when we're out doing something in the public because we can tell if we know someone or don't know someone. And it's harder to pretend offline than it is to pretend online. So talking about pretending, masking, it's hard to tell if someone truly is who they say they are. That's how we have stranger conversations. Yeah. And I mean, the thing, I guess the difference between uh, stranger danger in person versus stranger danger online is that almost everyone is a stranger unless you know them in real life. And a, a device, once upon a time, our worlds were quite, you know, insular. We were, we only knew our parents, our parents' friends, our, our friends' parents. We only knew those people. Now we've got a device that opens us up to billions of people. Uh, you know, I, right. I think Roblox, I, I haven't checked the statistics recently, but 
you know, Roblox in one day has over 50 million users and, you know, to, half of that just over 50 percent of them are um children under the age of 18 and 50 percent of them are people over the age of 18 on roblox which is a kiddie game uh you know it's targeted towards children and you know we've got 50 percent of that 50 million um you know and i think people kids don't think that who they're playing with online is an adult they never think that. You know, you can ask whatever age group, what the average age of an online gamer is, you know, and they all say someone, some age around their own age, like 12, 10, 9, 15, you know, and it's 34 to 36 years old. Yep, that's right. I mean, when we had the incident with Jake, who was playing with other people on Minecraft, same situation. This person said they were 13, so he believed it. Um, while we're on the topic of Roblox, I've got two really important messages about this platform. Firstly, Roblox isn't actually a game, it's a platform. So yeah. it's actually a place where you go to play lots of different games. Yeah. And one of the big things with Roblox is, um, and some when we're having conversations with parents particularly, um, they know that there's parental controls, but there's one specific um, control in Roblox that we think is crucial to have turned off, which is the ability for a young person to play user-generated games. Because there's the Roblox developed games and then there's user generated games. And so when you're in Roblox looking for a fun game to play and start joining a world where there will be other players, there's the Roblox version and then there's the user generated versions. So if we turn off accessing user generated games, we're going to create a safer avenue for the child to choose from a list of games in that platform that have actually been developed from a safety perspective. Whereas, especially when it comes to the content of what what, what are in those worlds, because someone with a bit of technology now can create a Roblox game and upload it into the, the that space. And, and we've seen all sorts of things. And yeah. one in particular a couple of years ago was called Meep City, which was a sex dungeon. Yeah. And uh, around 10,000 kids jumped in there and played in that space and it was very unsavory. Oh, and it's it's they're still there. They're still going on. They're not, you know, Roblox, as you said, it's a platform and it 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 includes games for all ages. But you, like you said, you know, user generated means that anyone can create any type of game, you know, and lure people in. And it's it, I play I played Roblox for a bit just to understand it, and uh, went with my daughter, and it was quite an interesting experience. I mean, it's. It, I can see why kids are, are drawn to it and I can see why, you know, people, but, you know, tricky people or or predators or, ped, you know, people who are preying on children, they're going to be where children are. And Roblox is one of the biggest platforms for children. So, yeah, so I, um yeah, when I played Roblox, it was quite interesting because, uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting game. It has interesting things going on in there and I love that. And I, and I actually haven't had anyone in this space, this cyber safety space, say that to me before. So the fact that you guys are sharing that with parents is amazing because, and and I always recommend that parents spend some time on platforms. Like you sit down and ask your kids, how does this work? What is, what's going on? What do you do? You know, give them half an hour of your time and just be interested in what's going on in their world. And I, I find that when once you've done that, your child will be more likely to tell you what's going on in that world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have we kind of 
put put it like this too. If your children really love playing games online, you know, we always as parents want to make sure that we're invested in what our children are interested in. And so if your kids played sport, if they were played footy or tennis or netball, you know, you got to have a hit with them or a kick with them outside and get to know what they enjoy doing. Yeah. So it's the same with online games. And, you know, when you're having those experiences, it's opportunity for connection building and when we can build those connections we can then start having those more difficult conversations with our children rather than going in full cold and just saying i heard roblox is not safe you're not playing it anymore it's not safe be safe when you play it's a very different perspective that that young person's going to gain from you yeah Um, we were talking a little bit about strategies around i guess for really young people around strangers and tricky people and unkind people but there's also, I guess, some strategies that we can employ, I guess, when we're, we've got teenagers and 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 tweenagers in our homes as well, when we're talking about that friendship connection online, because yeah. around 86% of young people told us in our latest digital habits survey that they have chatted to a stranger online. But interestingly, 34% of those have maintained an ongoing friendship with someone that they've first met online. And so, you know, that's that. That's that's pretty alarming. That is but alarming. We also have to remember that you and I met online, Christy. We met on Instagram, right? True. And so we can make really meaningful connections with humans, other humans online. It's just how the world works. Okay. So what we need to be thinking about is helping young people consider criteria for their friendships online. So we we kind of give kids in in um, upper primary and into secondary school who are starting to formulate friendships in the online spaces to have their criteria for an online friend. So one of my personal criteria is, do I know you offline? And if the answer is no, as a, as a young person, then I would be thinking more carefully about how I connect with that person. Yeah. The second thing is then if I'm going to be friends with this person online, would I stop and say hello to them if I did see them on the street? Ooh. Right. So because wow. if I wouldn't stop and have a chat with them on the street or down at the local shops, if I bumped into them, why would I have them following me on Instagram, seeing all of the things that I'm sharing? My yeah. next criteria, particularly on my own personal accounts, is if I wouldn't stop and if I would stop and have a chat with them on the street, my next question is, well, would I let them into my house? Would I invite them over to my house to have a cup yeah. of tea and let them inside my house? Because if I wouldn't let them inside my house, I wouldn't let them in my private space online because my house is my private space and my online presence can be private too. So I'm very selective, particularly with my own personal experiences and connections with people. So we start to have story, have conversations with our kids about those things too and getting them to establish, well, what's your criteria for an online friend? Um, And let's think about that. And that's a great way to also open up that conversation. Wow. And 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 I guess I've I've I you talk we talk about strangers and and how we connect. Yes, you're right. We've connected online. We've never met in person yet, you know. But we've created this really great relationship. And so great things do come from the internet. Great friendships and relationships come from the internet. And I do know that there's some there's a lot of value in the social media and in these connections. And I and I put it back to say a young teen or a tween who is struggling. They might not have anyone to talk to, and they they can make connections with other people in you know around the world, and it means a lot to them. There's people who are still walking around on this earth because they made connections online, right? That's right, and especially minority groups as well that feel exactly. isolated. They can meet their community, and I think that you know. But what we have to make sure is that we're arming the young person with all of that knowledge around the fact 
yeah. that at the end of the day, our most vulnerable people offline are also our most vulnerable people online. And if we are going to make connections with people online, we have to know about the harms and the risks and the potential dangers of meeting those types of people in the online world. Yeah, and I I, I worry for, especially for young people, but for minority young people, because in my experience as a police officer, those, cho- those young people are the ones who are, they're so vulnerable, but they also are the ones who are groomed more often. They are targeted more often because they're, desperate to desperate to connect with like-minded individuals you know they're they're at a very vulnerable state and people people use and abuse that and it's it's a real concern for mine I always also talk about with parents especially one-on-ones when I talk to parents about this stuff is that you know understanding or helping your young person understand their own boundaries and their own personal beliefs and their values because it's very easy for someone who a tricky person or a stranger to work around their boundaries and values and and finding what they believe in is really important for a young person to learn that early on it's not just important for online it's for important for all personal relationships mm-hmm. so you know having those com- having those conversations with your kids your young people about you know what do you believe in you know what do you think is you know what would you do if someone doesn't respect that boundary you know what could you do if you know more so I think that's really important for us to help our kids understand that they have the right to say no to a lot of things and to that that it doesn't matter who it is it it could be about their best friend it could be an adult it could be anyone Mm, that mm. it's really important there's so many there's so many lessons within the the online world that can be both online and in person and we can have those conversations. I think you've hit, a, you've hit an absolute point about this idea of online versus offline. And we talk often about this idea of them being two separate things, but it's about human, human interaction, human social skills. And so when we designed our learning framework, we actually brought values conversations into the mix of our digital citizenship framework. So we wrap everything that we do around four key values for a strong foundation of digital citizenship, but they're great values to live by offline as well so we talk about responsibility everybody has a responsibility to maintain their own personal security safety and well-being but also to protect their friends families and their community we talk about integrity which is about being the person that you are online and the persona that you're putting out to the world if you're going to think about your own integrity offline and how you work on that with building trust and 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 you know, good values with people and interactions that you have offline, then we should be thinking about what that might look like in our online spaces as well. Yeah. We talk about strength. So strength is our fourth value, which is third value, which is about being able to bounce back when things go wrong online because things will go wrong for us, but knowing the strategies to just be able to manage it from a a personal perspective, but also knowing at what point it is that we need to seek help and support. And it does take strength and bravery to reach out for some support, whether that be to the kids' helpline, e-safety, a trusted adult, or even a friend. Yeah. And then our final value is actually empathy, which is, you know, tasting your own words before you spit them out, considering what it might feel like if you are, you received messages like this, how might other people need, what might other people need from you in our online spaces where we connect and play? So it might be, you know, good friendship, 
kind words, positive vibes, all of those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. our values are RISE, responsibility, integrity, strength, and empathy. And it's about rising up as a community and really thinking about how we can create a safe space for everyone online. Yeah, so good. I love the, the all all four of those values are really important in, in as a human and um and that's the thing like I think like you like you reiterated I said it without realizing it you know all of connection whether it be online or in person is you know it's all important we need to stop uh, we need to stop thinking that online is just online because if something's happening online, then it's probably it's definitely happening offline. Like they're struggling on if they're struggling online with something, it will be coming over. And you know, one of the things that I you know sometimes comes up. I was going to bring up a bit of cyberbullying, and maybe you can give some thoughts on cyberbullying and how to deal with you know how parents can help their young person deal with it. But you know, quite often cyberbullying starts off online and then it transfers into the young person's real life, into their school life. And it can be really difficult to to handle, to to help them. And ignoring it doesn't make it go away. <laughs> you know, like no, we, that's... you know, like, and, and I have said to young people and I, I've said to my own young person more than once, you know, there's things that adults need to handle. And, you know, some things are adult problems, and if it's an adult problem, we I'm going to come and help you with that, and we're going to do it together. We're going to work as a team, you know, and I know from my own young person's struggles with, you know, with bullying and with friendships and stuff like that, you know, they, they want to handle it all because they think that they have to handle it all, and mm-hmm. they don't think that, you know, they think that a parent stepping in is going to make it worse or mm-hmm. we, we overreact. Like, yes. No. <laughs> all the things. Yep. That's right. You can, I can tell, Chrissy, you've dealt with all of this before. And, you know, I guess the advice we give is for a parent is to make sure that we start with facts, right? So sitting down and trying to get the facts and all of the story in the picture. Because I think sometimes too, we can get quite um, defensive of our own young people and we really want to right, wrap ourselves around them and we take their side and all of those things. So the first thing is to just make sure we sit down and think about the entire situation and get all the information that we need. The second step is to actually empower your child by asking them, what is it that you would like me to do to help and support you? So that we're not jumping in and we're saying, I'm going to fix this for you, that hang on, we're going to work on this together. What are some of the things that you would like me to do to help you? How can I help you? And they might not know. So you can suggest, you know, do you want me to, do you want to sit down and brainstorm some ways that we could respond? Or do you want me to sit down? Do we want to go and talk to someone at the school or, you know, getting them to maybe first of all, contribute to what they'd like some help with. And then I guess being the parent and knowing what to do, particularly if we're talking about cyberbullying, you know, a lot of the great thing about us as Australians is that we have access to the office of the e-safety commissioner and so having an e-safety commissioner as a resource to go and report if cyberbullying escalates to the point where it's out of our control but we do have a lot of steps that we can take to take control before we do that so the first thing once we discover that our young person has been cyberbullied or is being cyberbullying is that they need to actually collect some evidence yep. so collect the evidence of the behavior and block the person on that uh, report that person sorry on that platform to Snapchat, to, you know, Instagram on a gaming platform, report the user and then block them. 
if that person's still continuing and that cyberbullying is still occurring in the online spaces, then we can take that evidence that we have. If Snapchat, Minecraft, Roblox, whatever platform it is, isn't supporting you as a user, then we can then report that to the Office of the eSafety Commissioner, who do have governing powers and legislation around enforcing that that particular platform takes action on that. And there are fines in place whereby if that platform or online service provider don't actually um, support that young user, then there can be fines in place that yeah. the eSafety Commissioner can, can embed. One of the thing, one of the problems I've found or, or or heard of, and that I have seen, is that young people struggle to if it's someone who is actually their friend or family, like someone that they, you know, is a school friend or someone a peer mm-hmm. in their school, they struggle to block those people because they're worried about the implications or the repercussions of that. And in my experience, I have almost had to like hold my daughter my young person my daughter's hand and go look it's going to be okay I've also because I am uh, you know ex-police officer I I target things head on I have also gone and spoken to the parents of the other person and just said hey we've got an issue here can we work it out together because especially if it's someone known Mm -hmm. to your child and you can have those conversations you know pick up the phone hey I don't know if you're aware but our kids are having trouble and usually it you know Mm -hmm. hits it pretty quickly that's why it's so important to have your finger on the pulse on what you what's going on with your, your young people online because you can stop things from starting before they even start sometimes that's right and it's being in tune to them and and noticing their behavior too so if you see a change in the child's behavior which is more time online or wanting to spend less time online that can be a clue both ways so they could be spending yep. a lot more time than usual online because they're going in and checking to see what's going on and they want to be across what's happening and they don't want to miss out on something if someone said something about them or vice versa, they might be really moving away from their technology. They can be clues that something can be going wrong. Um, so one of the things that we strategies that we talk about in our CARES program, which is like first responders to cyberbullying, is there can be harmful ways to approach that. And then there can be really like that can hinder it or they can be helpful. So harmful would be like, get off your device, you're spending too much time online versus saying something like, I've just been noticing you've been using your technology a lot more lately, or is everything okay? You know, there's two different ways you can approach it. And you can tell straight away, just even by changing the way you ask the question or pose the scenario, it can make a difference. Oh, I wish I had known that question years ago. Um, It's hard. I, you know, I always go back to my own experiences as a parent. It's tough. And this is adding another layer of toughness to the job that was already hard, but it's even tougher. You know, some people do it really beautifully with, it, with you know, some parents think, but no parent has it all, you know, no, it all right. sorted. And <laughs> Don't no be hard parent, on any parent. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, even teachers, even, even police, you know, like police are struggling with the amount of, you know, reports and, and a lot of stuff is there's really, it's such great area in legislation that there's not mm-hmm. much that they can do, you know, even the e-safety commissioner can, can do stuff. Yes. And they, and they do do stuff about this, mm-hmm. but you know, there's still gray areas where it's yeah. not really helpful. So we need to just be mindful. Yeah, of I, I, I think too, I think we're in a position now more than ever before that we're lucky as digital citizens to have more legislation to be moving towards a safer world we have great resources here in australia my sister-in-law and my niece used it just five days ago a perpetrator started sending my niece um, some nude images on snapchat 
And they actually went to the police. And unfortunately, the police felt a little bit ill-equipped and just said there was nothing that they could do about it. I spoke to my sister-in-law and said, well, you've got some evidence there. Why don't you reach out to the ACCE? Within about 20 minutes, they had an email back from the ACCE asking for a little bit more information. And so, you know, that's that's a pretty rapid response. And so really I think rapid. we're really lucky to have services and places that we can go. We've got amazing educators, ex-police officers, as you say, people out there who've experienced these issues in their own way and then created something to get help and support. So I think yeah. as parents, they like, you know, knowing that there are so many different places where you can speak to people, get advice, get get support and, you know, being really, we're really accessible just like you are on Instagram. Like if there's something going wrong for you as a family, reach out to us or reach out to Christy McVie or, or one of the other trusted e-safety providers around Australia. You know, there are amazing people that you've been speaking to and we're all here to help. And I think together we can achieve more. So knowing we're not alone in this and that there are lots of support avenues, uh, I think I just feel really fortunate that now more than ever before, there's so many of us having these conversations. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, that's a great, that's almost a great finishing point. But I don't know if you remember the question I told you last week, but the question I ask all my interviewees is, um, if so when I was writing my book, I kept thinking, if parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. And so hence why my book actually was created, because I kept thinking that and I was writing everything that I knew thinking, if parents knew this, they would do things differently. So if parents knew something, it doesn't have to be, you know, you've already told us so many amazing things and strategies, but if parents knew what you knew, what would they do differently? Yeah, I think it's starting as early as you can to build positive relationships with your children. If they are going to use their devices in their bedrooms, make sure the door's open and you can see the screen at all times. Yeah. Um, and also not taking our devices into our bathrooms or toilets either. I think they're, they're really important strategies that that we just need to make as a no-go zone. So that's my number one. And I know that was different to lots of the other things I shared, but I wanted to think of something no, different. No, but to I also, that's exactly like everyone in this space is saying the same thing, even the ACCE, which is the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, the eSafety Commissioner. Everyone knows that children are, you know, it, whilst they're in those areas, that is where abuse is happening. And so we need to ensure that they're, and it can happen in public areas in the home, but it's still happening more likely to happen in a bathroom or a bedroom. Um, my my only other thing I would say is to have, make sure all devices aren't uh, charged in bedrooms or where people sleep because not only, and I, I don't know if this is an old school thinking, not only is it bad for your brain whilst you're sleeping, but, you know, it, it's encouraging using it whilst no one's looking. So that would be my only other I, add to that. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> 67% of kids are allowed to take their device into their bedroom at nighttime when they sleep. So, you know. 67%. Yeah, there's an important conversation to be had here. And, you know, it's about safety, but it's also about the kids not getting enough sleep. We know how important sleep is. It's a superpower for kids as they grow and develop. And when they've got their device in their bedroom, they're going to be tempted to jump back online uh, and reconnect with their friends. So absolutely, it's a great tip, Christy, I agree. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Trent. I think this was an amazing conversation. You've got so much to say. I could like, you know, absorb it all um so how can people find you online 
Yeah, well, we're Cyber Safety Project. You can find cybersafetyproject.com.au. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So if you just search Cyber Safety Project, you'll definitely be able to find us. Well, I'm going to let you go because you've got a big last day of work before your big holiday. But thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on the on the podcast and for just having a great conversation. I love everything that you've just talked about. I think I I could I took a lot from it. So and I'm sure parents are going to love the information that you shared as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Christy. It's good to be part of your podcast. Awesome work. You're doing great things as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and it empowers parents and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kids Safe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.